Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, this is Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I'm here today with Dave DeNoia, uh, Mark, and Ellie, and we're going to talk about finance. And so we have basically uh, four episodes in this in this series, and we're going to talk about financial resource management. We'll probably get into Bitcoin, blockchain, uh, definitely we'll talk about the cloud and just distributed systems as we've done on previous previous episodes, but... Um, I'll hand it off to Dave to do intros. We'll just do a quick round of intros of who, who's here talking with us today. Hi, my name is Dave DeNoya, and uh, I worked with data uh, for my whole career and uh, in various forms and big data, databases, etc. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Hi, I'm Mark Müller-Eberstein. Um, based on the accent, you can figure it out. I'm coming from Germany originally, but I live in the U.S. since the late 90s. I run a consulting business, Edge Tech Corporation, and um, do a research uh, on what the key technologies are uh, with Rutgers University and a couple of research institutes across the globe. And uh, just having a good time lately around uh, blockchain technology. Welcome. I'm Ellie Mungeli, DevOps engineer, currently working for JPL NASA. I also am a consultant around democracy for government and digital government. Thank you. So welcome to our guests. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And uh, just after the break, we're going to get into a lot of details about financial resource management and just the current state, essentially, of finance, money, and all this digital uh, craziness we've got going on. All right, we're going to start off by talking about the past and present of financial tech. And the big point here is basically it's way different now than it was then. And we're, we're at a, um, in a major period of time here where financial technology is upon us and there's a lot of engineering happening right now as we speak. So I think just to get things going, we'll talk about um, how things used to be. And Mark, can you give us the seashell thing? <laughs> sure, Eric. But I, I, I think seashell I'm already starting. history. Yeah, yeah. I'm already starting with disagreeing with you. I think oh, money, is, money is really not changing that much. It's always about the exchange of value. It's people trying to um, transfer value from one person to the other. And as you said, yeah, I mean, if one of the earliest human artifacts are basically seashells and then like little copper beads, that were used in a bit an agreed value to exchange goods and, and make an economy and exchange flow. Sure. And I think if you look at it over the history of humankind, currency has been one of the key drivers. The modern banking system, um, both uh, during the Renaissance in, the, in, in Italy, uh, the actual system of providing capital to entrepreneurs to start something new, um, we have seen it developing there, and I think that was until the banking regulation, the key driver for banks, it's providing capital to people that want to build something new, something better. Um, and uh, most people don't know that there was a very flourishing banking system in China as well until the late 1800s um, that had a very similar um, infrastructure in place. So money, money transfer, transferring value, connecting people, creating new value together has been part of human history forever. 
Sure. So it, it's a system and there's a lot of mechanisms for it. And there have been a lot of mechanisms for it mm -hmm. historically. And we're inventing mm -hmm. new mechanisms for it like Bitcoin blockchain-ish? Exactly. I think technology in every area of aspects is trying to, if, where, if there's an inefficiency in a system, technology comes in and removes that inefficiency, make things much, much faster, more economically viable. Um, and I think cryptocurrencies are a very good example of where that is happening right what now. What have the inefficiencies been? I mean, it's obvious. For example, <laughs> we talked about ATMs or... Yeah, cashiers. I mean, humans, we're actually seeing the banking industry in a lot of ways that are visible and invisible are, have been leaders in automation because also the strict compliance around finance meant that compliance is something that benefits from automation. You have less irregularities and it's easier to see anomalies in an environment that's completely automated. And so getting rid of cashiers was like one of the first one of the first things I think that we all interacted with that was like a robot banker. One of the first robots we had were like these kind of robot bankers. Makes sense. And uh I'm trying to think. I mean, so again, I think maybe other other examples of the inefficiencies. I was going to ask just the data question: is is that another aspect of this? If we look at old and antiquated systems, or take uh, uh, analog notions of of cash and coin and um, shells, and then we have new. So, for example, it seemed like the first step in that is that I could I had online banking. And I could go and log into my account and I could play around with my money digitally and move it around. And it was this digital substance that I could control and that, that I had quick books and I had quick in and I could do, do some things digitally with my money. That seems like in some ways the gateway to a lot of other things that have transpired. Sure. When I think about you know, data and, and finance, I think about older systems where things are written in a ledger or, or something like that. Um, you know, there's a linear aspect to it. There's a, the, the, there's a set. The things that are related to each other are hopefully next to each other, and it's difficult to establish new relations. And that's what digital really enables, is now you can, you can explore for new relationships. It's not just the relationship that's immediately present. You know, you get to see how can we recombine this and look at this and, and these characteristics and, <clears throat> and reorganize it. You know, I mean, from a data perspective, to be simple, sorting, right? right. You can learn so much about your data by sorting. And if it's written in a ledger, it's already sorted in one way. You're not going to be able to redo that. But if it's digitally, now you can resort it in any way you want, look for new relationships. Sure. So money is far more malleable now. It's be, we like have turned it into a much more malleable substance than it used to be. We used to have a very analog notion. I would say, actually, our vision of money. Okay. You know, again, like the money is still just the money. But the ways that we can see money and the cool stuff, again, this is like we're leading automation that, as you talk about it, that malleable perspective on money, in some ways, it's been facilitated by automation. I use personal finance software. I'm sure all of you are probably using some kind, too. And that's just a blast, like categorization hmm. when you talk about sorting. Like that's we have a level of understanding in our finances because we have tools that at one point only professionals would have that kind of perspective on it. And so, so is there a migration of technology from the organizations and the banks that's coming down to the common man? Is that another aspect of this? I mean, like, where's the innovation coming that's from? That's for sure. I mean, if you think the, the key word a couple of years ago was consumerization of IT. Mm -hmm. um, with, a, with smartphones in everybody's hand, it's really becoming 
the access to technology, as you said earlier, Ali, it's becoming everybody can access now tools that were impossible before. But for, not forgetting, but it's going much, much farther. Only 20% of the world population today have access to the banking system. The banking system was created over the last 500 years that basically transferred um, money transfer from putting gold in a caravan and transporting it across for weeks of our countries into something that could take today days and international transfer is possible. Now we're at the next step where it can be done in minutes. Um, that speed is happening, but it's also not only um, happening within the people that have access to the banking system today, it's going to happen for people that are outside of the traditional banking and economic and system and therefore have huge economic opportunities over the next decade. So there was an idea when banks were going to be, or maybe as Americans, we thought that banks were going to be the be-all, end-all of finance, or as Americans, we think of the banks as owning this problem and there's regulatory things associated with it and so the value and benefit and et cetera. If you don't want to use your mattress, you use a bank. And so um, I guess the question is, to your point, there's all kinds of, the, the scale that the banks have been able to acquire is limited and it is not total. And, and so technology is helping us with both the established base as well as the, the unreached market? Absolutely. The moment a technology makes some functionality easy for populations and brings value to them, it will be adopted very, very quickly. If we just look across the Pacific, the largest financial, I think, transformation over the last five years happened in China with the instant messaging company. Tencent out of Shenzhen created WeChat, and it, when they introduced a banking feature, a payment feature, it became prevalent. I think with nine, they have 900 million users, and over 750 of million users right now are using their mobile phone, the WeChat app, to do all kinds of transactions, from paying their phone bills to buying a street food. It really is completely changed the game. I really like Hari Kunzru is where I found this quote, but he said there's the haves, it used to be the haves and the haves nots, and mm -hmm. now we say the haves and don't have it yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, the, the WeChat comment, um, in, a, in a previous episode, we talked about distributed systems, and we had uh, somebody named Kafaya on the episode who's from Ethiopia, from Africa, mm -hmm. and she we, we didn't go into finance at that time, we weren't really thinking about it, but... Uh, we were just talking about the drivers and the things. It was kind of like the idea was that the internet was this thing that was so compelling and amazing and that, that people wanted to see photos, like her example, and I think this also was in Cuba, that people really wanted to see photos, like on Instagram, that the, that the drivers to use the technology, for example, were Instagram or Instant Messenger or what have you. So it seems like there's some gateway technologies that people are already using, whether it's email or chat or et cetera, where if they're already doing these basic needs of communicating or seeing a photo, something really simple, why not embed or integrate, drive that capability or technology down into that same layer? Absolutely. And where it's happening, um, it actually leapfrogs of what the developed world often has become used to. I mean, Africa, is, as I said, Africa is a great example. I mean, there was no phone system uh, across the country. There were no, li uh, no lines for, for the traditional hardwired lines. But the moment mobile phones, cell phones became prevalent across the continent, now nearly everybody is connected and everybody has access to the internet. And it creates new ways of communicating, collaborating, sharing, but also financial transactions. Right. Right. So does, so it sounds like finance kind of gets to ride along with the technology, perhaps generally speaking, and, and or the internet is this huge driver 
for people coming online and communicating and the, the future's there. Yeah, absolutely. And then money is, mm -hmm. of course, right mm -hmm. there with it because business, because commerce, because yeah. everything. All, and all these technologies accelerate each other. Mobile on one side, big data on the other side, blockchain technology, the internet. All of these things are playing on top of each other, accelerating each other and transforming existing business and even societal models. Mm-hmm. Any, any other thoughts? So our, our topic in our little quick intro segment here is just the history and current state. Are there other big trends or themes? Dave, for example, mentioned um, Dave mentioned uh, the ledger and, and the kind of transactional aspect of, of the, the kind of counting forward thing. It sounds like that's another theme we're seeing right now with Bitcoin blockchain tech, that it's this time-based series that gets hardened and fixed over time, but it's still highly capable. It's not, it's, it's a ledger of sorts, but it's, it's on the cloud or it's far more advanced. It's a, it's a cap capability far beyond a piece of paper. Oh, absolutely. I think the blockchain technology um, that was started to become popular with Bitcoin um, really creates a fundamental shift. So having, a, as uh, you said earlier, having a ledger um, already changes how people interact. And now having a distributed ledger on a global scale where you can transfer value between everybody who has access to the internet um, in, I would say, nearly real time, within minutes at least, mm -hmm. um, it's changing the game fundamentally, not only on the financial sector, but how people collaborate and work together. My question on this really is that when we've changed, when we've changed money, or when we, again, it's not money itself that's changed, but when we've, when we've gone to this virtualization, like what are the risks in terms of financial literacy? I mean, I see this as a cloud engineer where I work with traditional sysadmins and IT people. And even though we put stuff on the cloud and they're building things on cloud, there's definitely a place where they have to adapt and understand, for example, that their machines as virtual are now completely disposable. Like, what's the analog to that? Like, what things do we need to understand to be financially literate with the virtualization of money? Okay, now I said, we're starting to feel passionate, Ellie, here. <laughs> <laughs> I think, so first of, first of all, I think, unfortunately, the vast majority of the people are financially illiterate. Across the board, um, if you look at how many people actually have the financial means to survive for two months and a half. If there's anything happening coming down their way, um, it's living from basically today to tomorrow is already hard for most people. So the financial literacy, um, how to manage budgets, how to plan for the future, most people have unfortunately no idea how to do that. And it's a huge job for the education business and I'm happy to talk about that another time <laughs> to really focus on that. Um, where we are right now, I mean, people might have heard about Bitcoin, maybe Ethereum and Ether, and there's this big speculation thing going on. Um, a lot of people that have no idea, I've heard this in Europe right now, there's these, a lot of basically salespeople selling coins um, to folks that are trying to get more than a negative interest rate on their capital. Um, lots of lots of scams going on, absolutely for sure. Having said that, that doesn't take away from the fundamental value cryptocurrency and blockchain technology have already today and I'm very sure will have over the next 
decade. Is this a good time to maybe uh, talk about some of the deep, like what is blockchain technology? Like what is different about that? Like why, why is it that that is, um, you know, and how does that integrate with the various existing technologies? Like what is it about blockchain that makes it so uh, uh, successful or appropriate in this context? So blockchain technology, think about it more like a distributed supercomputer. So you have a, comp a network of computers that are working together on a global scale in a trusted environment to create trust between people that don't know each other. Um, using blockchain technology, which is basically using peer-to-peer so -peer technology, uh, crypto cryptography technologies, and bringing, the, bringing all of this together, create a system where you can exchange value on the internet. So what they've done is they solved something called like the double spent problem. If I take a digital picture, I can send it to 10 people and I still have my original picture. And then if I send it to you, you can send it to another 100 people or 5,000 people. The value of the initial digital file is not diminished. We're all used to exchanging digital files all the time. So we can spend the same file thousands of times. If you think about a banknote, you can only sell it, uh, give it away once. So you, the reason why we trust in the value is because we know there's only this one note with the one number on it. Combining this distributed ledger, cryptography, allows us to create digital files that can only be sent one time. And the moment that transaction is recorded on this global ledger, it is final, it is immutable, it cannot be changed anymore. So the moment all these computers basically say, I have sent this digital file to Ellie, it is Ellie's, and everybody knows it, and I don't have it anymore. Okay, so we've transferred trust from the institution, which we may or may not have had trust in, but we're, we're relying on mm -hmm. into the technology. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And who's providing those technologies? That's also a, a cottage yeah. industry, or not probably not even a cottage industry. Tell us more about the providers of the technology today. Who are the players? Well, there are different players out there. I think uh, the, when, when open source and Linux came up, I said, how do I trust when so many people work together? I think the, it's quite, an, uh, the, uh, quite, quite similar, actually. You have people that believe in a specific community, and they're um, investing that own time, their IP, their intellectual capabilities, but also their computing power into that particular system to make it work. Now, depending which system we talk about, there's some kind of rewards built in as well. So for Bitcoin and Ethereum, you have uh, miners that are the people that are running the computers that are managing these ledgers and basically competing in a game and get rewarded for creating the next block. So there's some kind of reward system built in. But um, there are also alternative blockchain applications that are proposed and started to be implemented that might even get a, a, do not need the mining infrastructure itself. So it's really important when we start to peel back the onion to go into the details and say, which system are we talking about? And then just just because you brought it up, maybe another angle on blockchain is, so you said there's other potential applications to What's another potential application of blockchain, just to kind of flesh it out? Yeah, it's actually showing up in infrastructure in the sense that, again, compliance. We need to be able to build infrastructure in such a way that we have a permanent log that can demonstrate everything that happens in the infrastructure and can audit that. And so this the idea that every time you touch a web a website, for example, that is a kind of a transaction. And that someplace is logged within the system. One of the problems that has come up in compliance is that people could erase a log, right? And so having an unerasable, unerasable 
um, distributed log that's outside of the environment itself can really make that more accessible. Okay. Oh, that's great. Because I, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of different types of data from web and app data into finance data. And one of the things I always say is like, you know, th that's actually the, the spectrum that I talk about with where it's web. It's like, well, if we have to throw away 50% so that we can look at it, that's just kind of how it is. And finance is like, look, it's got to add up. You know, right. and it's like, and I see that, okay, now I can start to see how blockchain is kind of saying, okay, within these distributed systems that originally, for their original purposes, would lose a lot of data, be very messy. Right. How can we clean that up for the precision that's required within finance? No, I think you're, it's beyond finance. You're on the right track. It's yeah. really anywhere where you have records sure. um, where blockchain technology yeah. can start to play a role. We talk intellectual property records, land records, yeah. um, any kind of basic, well, really any kind of application. Um, one example that's out of here, out of Seattle, is Disney. Disney's IT headquarters here in Seattle, and they have created their own blockchain application, open source called Dragon Chain, that um, could potentially be used for managing their supply chain. So where is the salad mm -hmm. coming from that ends up on the Disney cruise? How is the IP licensing from Disney Paris ending up to the facilities in, uh, in California? At the top end, we talk about blockchain in the context of electronic democracy, and Ethereum has been involved in that conversation. When we talk about what makes a nation at the very top level, it's basically citizens and resources. And nowadays, a nation can be much richer in human resources than in physical resources. And so when we say that, we can basically establish identity with blockchain as a singular identity, and then we can also have a cryptocurrency. Uh, blockchain technology could be the key to having sovereign cloud, meaning nations that are not de facto nations with actual physical territory, but nations that are built completely with digital infrastructure and have virtual assets. I think it, it, with blockchain technology, the ownership of the data can go back to the individual, not some central company like Facebook or Google owning the data of what we like and what we don't like, but each individual might get to the point where they can decide what happens with their data, what's the economic benefit they get for their data, what advertisement they want to see. A couple other uh, words I was going to bring up there that were just on my mind is accounting and accountability. Those seems like, seem like other aspects to this system where Accounting clearly, you know, we're, we're keeping track of what's going on and then the accountability part where there's leadership, ownership, something good going on where there's trust. Uh, so that was a little just kind of intro here about our financial resource management topic. And we're just trying to basically bring uh, you, our listeners, up to speed with what's going on in this, in this industry and with this business capability today. You've been listening to the Abstract Podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to appsjack.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic and the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com. S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com.